Thank you so much, Lynn, for that very heartfelt prayer. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in those wonderful songs about our Lord. We never get tired of those songs. We never get old because they teach us great truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, we have a book at home that um, has a very interesting title. It is uh, a book that is called Growing Up Cold. And the subtitle of the book is A Father, a Son, and a Life in Football. And the book is about Colt, who reached the highest level of pro football and maintained a strong Christian testimony. And it's about how his father raised him to be a strong young Christian who became a pro athlete. Now, books like this are intriguing, aren't they? Because we want to know, what did this father do? How did he mold the life of his son? And then how did the son respond to the father's efforts? And what is it that we can learn about being effective dads and effective sons? You know, as I think about this book, I think there's another book we would be very interested in. That book might be titled... Growing Up Jesus. Wouldn't you like to see a book like that? Because we have questions, don't we? We have questions about Jesus' childhood. What was it like to raise the Lord Jesus Christ? And we have questions like this. What would it have been like to have a child who always cleaned his room and picked up his toys? What would it be like to have a child who never talked back, never sassed, never complained? Uh, how about having an older brother who never fought with his siblings or called them names? What would it be like to be an imperfect parent raising a perfect child? What would it be like to scold your child and then discover that you were the one who needed the scolding? What would those things be like? And then, what would it be like to have a child who could teach you more about the Bible than you could teach that child? And then, I think a question that all of us have is, when did Jesus know who He was? I'm sure you have thought about that question. By the way, we have to create all new categories for Jesus, don't we? There's nobody else ever who has been like him. And the only place that the Bible gets into some of these issues is in Luke chapter 2. And this morning we're going to look at that incident in the Bible. Now, here is something that is very, very interesting as we look at this this morning. Jesus is 12 years of age in this episode, and these are his very first words ever that we hear. Are first words important? Yes, they are. And these words are about him. But then there's something also very interesting. This is Jesus' very first audience. And that's important too. And this audience is ultimately about us. 
And so this morning, as we listen to Jesus for the very first time, what do we learn about Him? And then as we partake of this audience, what do we learn about us? Let's open our Bibles, shall we, to Luke chapter 2. If you want to take your chair Bible in front of you, I would really encourage you to do that. Find the third gospel in the New Testament. And this morning we're going to be looking together at verses 39 to 52 in Luke chapter 2. Let's take a moment, shall we? And let's bow together in prayer. Lord, thank You for this episode. Thank You for what it teaches us about Jesus. And then thank You for what it teaches us about us. And as we begin a new year, with all that we will go through, some of it good, others more difficult, we thank you that we have the privilege of starting this year with the Lord Jesus Christ and learning from Him and walking in His ways. Bless us now with His insight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's start at verse 39. And I want you to notice the Bible says to us, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. Now let's talk here a little bit about the setting and what took place as we prepare for Jesus' very first words. The setting here in this episode of Jesus' life is the annual Passover feast in Jerusalem. Now, the Old Testament uh, required all adult males to attend three feasts. But by this time, after the exile, when the people of Israel had been scattered, they only attended the Passover. Since women uh, were not required to attend, and uh, boys younger than 13 were not required to attend, this shows that Jesus grew up in a very godly family. Now, Jerusalem normally had about 70,000 in the population, but at Passover, it swelled to about 250,000. This is a, a replica of Solomon's portico, where Jesus would often teach when he was an adult, and you can see what the crowds must have been like in Jerusalem and in the temple. So there are people everywhere. And then in addition to this, Jews traveled in caravans for safety. 
And all we have to do is take a look at the relief map, and we see that it was about 80 miles from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. It would take about three days. Now you can see on the return trip how easy it would have been for Jesus to get lost. I mean, let's think about it. This is Jesus. He's always been responsible. He's never given His parents any trouble at all. There is no need to worry about Him at 12 years of age. And the parents probably figured, He's in the back of the caravan, He's with His uncles and His aunts, He's playing with His cousins. And then they stop for the first night to camp, and there's no Jesus. Where is He? What has happened? And so, the next morning, they travel back on the second day. And on the third day, they are searching for Him in Jerusalem. And they did not find Him uh, uh, right away on the third day. Because when verse 45 says, they were searching for Him, it suggests a process. It took a while for them to finally locate Him in the temple. Now, I know how all parents here this morning are feeling already, right? The parents are perturbed. They're pretty upset. And they're pretty worried. I'll never forget, years ago we had a class social at uh, the Millen's property out in Sands Township. And we got ready to go at dark and we couldn't find little Abby Motter. She was nowhere to be found. And so we started calling her name. Abby. Abby. There was no response. And we were obviously worried. Finally, she appeared. She had been hiding under a Christmas tree. And she heard us the whole time. And of course, when she appeared, we all were relieved. How many think the modders were just a little upset? (laughs) You know, I, I think of that as I come to this episode. This is clearly how Mary felt as she let out her exasperation. Look at verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Obviously, she's upset, and there's a sense here in which she is scolding Jesus. And who could blame her? Who could blame her? But this is where it gets very interesting. Jesus gives it right back. Now, if you're a young person here this morning, please be a little careful at this point. When I was young and would read this passage, these kind of thoughts could start, well, finally. You know, score one for the kids. Finally, the parents get what they've got coming to them. It's about time. Yay, Jesus! (laughs) 
But obviously, that's not what is going on here. This is Jesus. And there's something very, very different going on. What Jesus is doing is teaching us about Himself. And this morning, since these are His first words, we need to listen very carefully. Now notice what He teaches. Number one, Jesus had two fathers, not one. Verse 49, and He said to them, Why were you looking for Me? Did you not know that I must be in My Father's house? Now very clearly, up until this point, we are being taught that Jesus had a normal development as a young boy. You will notice that verse 40 and verse 52 are almost identical. Look again at verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Then look at verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now these brackets are then telling us what is a main emphasis here in this passage, and that is Jesus' humanity. And as we read through the incident, we saw Jesus had human parents. He had relatives. Uh, The Greek word for child in verse 40 means an infant or a baby. In verse 43, the Greek word for boy means a young man. So Jesus had a normal human nature, and He grew and He matured like every other child. But I want you to notice, Jesus' response to his worried and perturbed mother, he said to her, didn't you know, I had to be in my father's house. Do you know in the entire Old Testament, I found nobody who called God my father? In fact, I found the phrase only twice, and God is the one who uses the phrase, not a human being. Yet, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus repeatedly says, My Father, my Father, my Father. And it is an expression of great intimacy. Jesus clearly knew that God was His Father because Jesus understood He had a divine nature as well. He was both God and man. And not only did Jesus know this by saying, My Father, but the Jews would later recognize this as well. Look at this encounter in John 5.18, and you read the last phrase with me. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, read the last phrase with me, making Himself equal with God. By the way, this is a mystery, isn't it? As God, Jesus always knew who He was. 
So as God, even when He's a babe laid in a manger, He knows who He is. But as a child, He grew into this knowledge. That's a mystery, isn't it? Don't ask me to explain that one. I cannot explain the incarnation. But Jesus had two fathers, not one. Here's the second thing that Jesus wants us to understand. Jesus' heavenly Father had priority over His earthly Father. Now, I would not recommend to young people today that you try this response to your folks that Jesus gave to His uh, with my parents, if I didn't cooperate, they would operate, and uh, deservedly so. And we need to understand a big difference here. This is not rude. This is not back-talking. This is Jesus. He has how many fathers? Two. Who's greater? His adoptive father, Joseph... Or his heavenly Father, God, which one is greater? Obviously, God. And Jesus is not being rude here. He is not sassing or back-talking. When he says, I must be in my Father's house, that little word must is very important in Jesus' life and ministry. It is a word that means divine necessity. It means that he was on God's timetable. He was on God's timing. Jesus is pointing out a very important truth. He had two fathers, and therefore he had to obey God rather than men. By the way, should Mary have known this? Should she have known this? Well, of course she should have known it. Remember what the angel said to her when she was uh, pregnant, which we've seen just back in Luke chapter 1. Look at this. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. And what's the last phrase? The Son of God. Of course, Mary should have known this. How many of you think it was easy for her to forget? Obviously, she's dealing with a child no one has ever seen the likes of before. Of course, she would forget. And then the third thing that Jesus is teaching us is Jesus is the ultimate authority on the Scriptures. It's interesting, this phrase here, I must be in my Father's house, is a reference to Jesus' mission. You see, the temple was not only a place of meeting and worship, but it was the primary place for teaching. 
Uh, R.C. Sproul points out that after the Passover, the rabbis, the theologians, would remain behind and they would share insights and ideas with each other about the Scriptures. And as I've already mentioned to you, as you read through the Gospels, you find Jesus, as an adult, was often teaching in Solomon's portico in the temple. But what is amazing here? is Jesus, at 12 years of age, is the center of the action. When it says that He was among the teachers, the phrase there is, in the midst, it suggests that He was the center of what was going on. Now, one of the things we learn about the way the rabbis taught is they taught according to the Socratic method of teaching. And so what they would do is they would ask questions, and then when answers were given, they would ask additional questions to lead to additional insight. And so there was this interchange, this back and forth of questions and answers and new questions. Jewish boys normally at the age of 12, began to be taught intensively to prepare for their bar mitzvah at 13 when they became an adult in the eyes of the community and responsible for themselves to obey the law. Here's the amazing thing here in this passage. By 12, when the intense training is supposed to start, Jesus' answers and questions are so insightful, He becomes the center of attention. And as a preteen, Jesus already has a special, unusual insight into the Scriptures. In fact, in verse 47, when it says, All who were heard Him were amazed, the word there means to stand outside oneself. You know what we would say? They were beside themselves. When's the last time you were so astonished you were beside yourself with wonder? That's how they responded. Now we know what's going on here. He was God. He was the author of Scripture. We all know 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is what? God breathed. This is the only time the rabbis are said to teach Jesus. In fact, this is the only time they're ever called teachers. From here on out in the Gospel records, Jesus becomes the teacher. And if He is the teacher... What does that mean for us? You see, this audience, this audience is us. See, there are two sides to this incident here. The one is what Jesus is teaching about Himself. The second is what He's teaching about us. And let's spend a few moments, shall we, looking at what He taught 
us. Number one. Number one. We misunderstand Jesus because He is heavenly and we are earthly. Every preacher who stands in a pulpit understands. I'm an earthly person. I'm speaking to earthly people. These things are difficult to grasp because we are earthly people trying to explain and understand a heavenly person. Look at verse 50. The Bible says about Mary and Joseph, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now think about this. Angels had appeared to both of them to tell them about this child. Prophets had arisen to explain who Jesus was and what he would be like. And yet the Bible says here, they did not understand. They didn't understand. And if we say why, well Jesus would later explain why. Look what he says in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. You will indeed Die in your sins. You see what Jesus is saying? We're from below. Jesus is from above. And we cannot understand spiritual things until we are born from above. And that comes about by believing in Him. And then the spiritual realm can be opened unto us. I'll never forget reading uh, about uh, another pro football quarterback by the name of Steve Barkowski, who was a quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. And he said he could never understand the Bible. He said the Bible was a closed book to him. He said it made no sense at all. And then he became a Christian. And he said, what a difference. He said, all of a sudden, the Bible became alive to me. And what made the difference? Well, when he became a Christian, he became alive to spiritual things. The Holy Spirit opened his eyes to understand. By the way, isn't this exactly what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, there's a lot of things you can't understand right now, but when the Holy Spirit comes, He will teach you all things, for He will take of mine, and He will disclose it to you. And despite the fact that they had heard from angels and prophets, there was misunderstanding until the Holy Spirit came. Look at the second thing here. Number two. Only Jesus can explain Himself. So we must 
ponder His Word carefully. Look at verse 51. And He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. That word treasured up there is a very rich word. It means to keep safe like a treasure box. If you had a treasure box full of valuable treasures, you would protect that box. You would watch over that box. You know what this means? This means that Mary kept coming back to the things that Jesus said and she allowed them to very deeply penetrate her heart as she pondered on what He said. And there is clearly a lesson here for us. That's what we must do with Jesus' revelation, His Word. We must keep coming back to it over and over and over again that we might learn what He is teaching and develop spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight. And I want to speak today, particularly in this service and in the next service to young people, do not wait until you are old, but start while you are young. I want to appeal to you to do that. It's so easy for young people going up in church and thinking, well, I'm young. I want to have fun. I want to, I want to have a good time. I'll get serious about uh, the things of God later on in my adult life. I've got plenty of time to do that. But I want you to notice, at 12 years of age, Jesus has a thirst and a zeal for God's Word. He listened. He asked questions. We know later on that he has memorized Scripture because when Satan comes to him and tempts him, Jesus is able to turn it back on him because he knows the appropriate Scripture to use for the appropriate temptation. Jesus at a young age thirsted and hungered for the knowledge of God and His truth. I just want to share with you as young people. This began in my life when I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. And that's when I began to get serious about learning and understanding God's Word and God Himself. And oh, the help that that was to me as I began my high school years... And I'll just say this, if you want to become strong and sturdy, a young person of conviction, in all the turmoil of the high school years, you get into this book. It'll make all the difference in your life. And then I want you to notice a third lesson we learn about the audience that day. Our Heavenly Father's priorities must be ours as well. Let me ask you, do we have two fathers also? 
Yeah, we do. As Christians, we have two fathers. Now, not like Jesus had a relationship with the Father. Not like that. But because we know Him, He has brought us into a relationship with the Father. And now we cry out, Our Heavenly Father. And if Jesus said, I must do what my Heavenly Father is directing me to do, how much more must we? Again, this morning, I, in both services, want to speak just a moment to young people. Why did Jesus submit to His parents in verse 51? Did you notice that? He went down with them and He came to Nazareth and He was submissive to them. And the tense of the verb indicates he did not do that on, he, he continued to do that until he left home. He was submitting to them. So think about this. As long as he was in their home, he submitted to them until he left and began his own life. Now you've got to ask yourself this question. If Jesus was God, Why did he submit to two human parents? He knew the fifth commandment, didn't he? He knew the fifth commandment. What does the fifth commandment say? Honor your father and your mother. And he knew one of the father's priorities was that he would honor and obey His earthly parents. And by the way, did you notice the result of that? Look at verse 52. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and who? Or as some translations say it, people. Do you know what God knows? God knows if you can learn to get along with your parents, you can learn to get along with anybody. Right? And God will bless that. God will bless that. Jesus submitted to His parents. He honored them. And people, recognizing that, appreciated him and favored him and God blessed him as he grew up. You make things work with your parents, people will appreciate that and they will favor you because of it. We all know that. You look at a young person who is rebellious and will not listen and is defiant Everybody thinks, poor kid, poor kid. But you show a person who honors their folks, loves their parents, does the very best they can to uh, get along with them and to follow them. People appreciate that kind of a young person. And their favor rests upon them. You know what Jesus is exhibiting for us here today? 
He's exhibiting these words of wisdom in Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. This is said in the context of the home and of listening to the parents and following their wisdom and counsel. And look what it says. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win what? Favor. And a what? In the sight of who? Don't you almost get the impression that Jesus had read this before? You see, love and faithfulness at home wins favor and a good reputation outside the home. And God knows what He's doing. And we don't have to go anywhere else but to Jesus Himself. To know that it's true. You know, I didn't plan this message this morning, particularly as a New Year's message. It's part of the Christmas series we had done in Luke 2, and I thought that I would just complete the last part of it. But as I thought about it, I thought this couldn't be any more helpful for starting a new year. If this could be our life this year, what a blessed and favored life it would be. Let's read it together, shall we, just as we close this morning and ask the Lord to help us to be this follower of Christ that He came to make us into. Let's read it together. We misunderstand Jesus because He is heavenly, and we are earthly. Only Jesus can explain Himself, so we must ponder His Word carefully. Our Heavenly Father's priorities must be ours. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's ask the Lord... to work these things deep into our lives. Father, thank You for this marvelous insight into the boy, Jesus. And we confess to You there are mysteries here. We cannot explain the Incarnation any more than we can explain the Trinity, or the sovereignty of God. And yet, Father, we have Your infallible, inerrant Word that speaks to us the truth about the Savior we trust, we love, and we adore. And I pray, Lord, today for anyone who is unsure that they are born again. 
Father, without that, the key to the Scriptures will forever be absent in their lives. And I pray for anyone who has questions. I'm not sure that I'm born again. How can I become born from above? I pray that they will ask questions. I pray that they will search the Scriptures. I pray that they will listen until they are sure that they have become a child of God. And then, Father, we pray for those of us who are sure how easy it is to lean on our own understanding, how easy it is to think that common sense will guide us. But the only sure guide is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only sure foundation is His Word. And we must be like Mary. She's the great example here to us. Pondering, treasuring, coming back over and over again. Letting these words of Jesus sink deep into her heart. May we be like her. And Father, when we don't understand Your will, when it seems unsatisfactory to us, or goes against what appears to be the best path, help us to always believe that we have two fathers. And the Heavenly Father knows far better than we do. And His way is always righteous. It is always perfect. It is always just. It is always ultimately in the end the safest place for the child of God to be. And so, may we allow Your priorities to supersede ours because we love You and want to know You deeply and follow You. Bless our new year. Thank you now for this time around the table of the Lord. We couldn't start the year any better way than fellowshipping with Him and with each other. We pray in His blessed and wonderful name. Amen.